0: This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele
1: on 101.9 High FM.
0: Good evening to all and welcome to tonight's edition of Beyond Governance. My name is Nimrod Mbele and I'm honored to share this space and time with you as we continue to debunk issues of national importance. Um, I I really welcome your thoughts as we continue to really get the the countries talking, particularly on issues of, of, of national importance. We know for the fact that the, uh, the COVID-19 has literally, you know, tailspin every conceivable plan that we knew of, uh, to a point where we now, we need to get to, to a restart button. Um, while we're on that issue, we know, let's, you know, I welcome your, your views. Uh, our SMS line is, you know, uh, 34519. Our telegram is 061 eight nine five one zero one nine. Uh my email address is nimrod at uh, it is you know before we get to the gist, it's prudent that I acknowledge Tabo who is the technical producer of the show. I hope everything is well today. And let me also take this opportunity to thank Simon Bainstein who just you know came off air, David, Lindywe and Zanati. Um, and they they'll be back on your radio tomorrow to give you what you are, you know, accustomed to. Uh perhaps maybe a quick reflection moment for me in terms of the macroeconomic spending of the country. We know that um, as early as twenty twenty, uh you know, the first financial institution to cut, you know, to, to cut down uh, economic growth projection was the you know, the World Bank. The Moody's came. Uh, and downgraded the government you know, of, of South Africa in terms of long-term foreign currency and local currency issuer, you know, projecting a negative outlook. Over and above that, uh, we've had, you know, uh, mo- modifying, you know, issues such as structural weakness growth, limited capacity to stimulate economic growth, as well as inexorable rise in government debt over medium term, as well as, you know, downgrading of the negative outlook. Um since then, you'd imagine that nothing has changed. Uh, we are pretty much in a deeper financial crisis, given our zero, zero, you know, fiscal position, based on the COVID, you know, based on the economic growth. And I would imagine the COVID nineteen further assaulted any prospects of the country's uh, resurrection, um, as if we haven't really been dealt sufficient blow. Uh, we, we now, our, our, in terms of unemployment, we have reached, you know, almost 30%, which means 30% of unemployment, which means, you know, uh, we have got about 16.4 million South Africans who are actively looking for a job uh, and who are currently unemployed. Uh, as if that's not enough, we have got the likes of Adcor that is retrenching about 22,000 uh, employees, SABC uh, about 600, SAA about 4,708. Um, you know, and standard bank about you know one thousand two hundred rands and the list goes on and on and on and on. begins to ask a, a a fundamental question which I'm gonna ask you know our our esteem you know our esteemed uh you know uh, uh guests tonight to reflect on. And the, the, the fundamental point is that we don't have the time nor energy to be filled in with ideologies and philosophies. We need practical implementable project. Uh, that could alleviate South Africans, you know, uh, uh, out of out of poverty. The other issue that you know, which which I'm going to pose to my my colleagues tonight. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Dembele on 101.9 High FM. As I was saying, the critical question that I want to pose to my colleagues tonight um, um, is around how do we get the economy back on its feet? What are the fundamental business? Uh, 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 you know, principles that we need to stick by. And the fact that we've had the, the stimulus package that was introduced by the president, is it enough? That's the big question. And my, my, my views that it's not enough, particularly when you have not had, um, structural reforms that are needed. But anyway, I'm going to leave that, those kinds of questions to my, my, my honorable guests who will be joining us in a short while. On that note, let me take this opportunity to welcome Dadebwana Mahali, uh, who is the Chairperson at business, uh, at Business Group as well as the Chancellor for the University of the Free State. Good, I'm good in. evening and welcome.
2: Welcome, my dear brother. Thank you very much. Apologies for the poor connection. I think it's ESCOM instability.
0: <laughs> That's one of the issues that we'd like you to talk about later on. As, uh, on that note, let me also take this opportunity to welcome Eric Stungamen. Eric, uh, good evening and Welcome. Good evening. Nice to be in your company again. Hope we can
1: make a contribution this evening to getting this economy going
0: again. Thank you very much, colleagues. Uh, you know, Dada Bonang, I want to start with you. And I said, how do you get the economy back on its feet? And bearing in mind that the, the 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 president has already made stimulus package available, and and can we make the stimulus package um, package functional in a context of environment where the the, the macro policy reforms are not not there. What's your take? What would be the fundamental requirement to ensure that the stimulus package that has been put forward is actually
2: effective? So without any degree of granularity, what we need more than anything else, is far-reaching structural economic reforms and fiscal austerity. We are so much in trouble that if we did the one without the other, we are unlikely uh, to come right. If I were to give you some crude uh, mathematics, and by the way, the emphasis is on crude, not on the arithmetic. If the interest rate is 8% and inflation, CPI I'm talking about, is 4%, that means the GDP growth must be at least 4%. Otherwise, we are standing still or going backwards. It is beyond me why we have been talking about a digital migration for the last 10 years. Five ministers later, we still don't have 5G spectrum, except what has been released now temporarily as a result of COVID. If we auctioned this 5G spectrum tomorrow on Wednesday, by Friday we could have banked a minimum of $20 billion. We must reactivate the next round of renewable energy because the independent power producer program is probably the best in the world. We started with prices of about 460 Today, we are at less than $0.60 cents per kilowatt hour. We must fast-track infrastructure, public-private partnerships broadly, Restore the effective tax collection of the South African Revenue Service, especially the capacity that was lost in the nine wasted years. We have to expand the tax base. The math doesn't add up. We can't have... 60 million people that are gainfully employed, supporting 18 million people that are on social security. Of those that are employed, we are told we might lose a minimum of a million, up to 7 million by the time COVID-19 finishes with us. We must clamp down hard on tax evasion and reduce the deficit to zero. And we'll be lucky if we can bring it into surplus. I don't know why we are not selling some of the assets of this more than 740 uh, SOEs and state-owned companies, because increasing the tax rate on the few that are employed and on companies a uh, 28% marginal tax rate, and 46% um, uh, for, for those that are earning uh, more than 760000 per annum. Um, there's not much fiscal space to be able to do that. Back to you, Little
0: Thank you very much, uh, Professor Mahali, for that uh, uh, very interesting uh, observation that we need to obviously uh, get our heads around. Uh, on that note, uh, I've got a couple of questions, but before, maybe uh, let me bring in uh, Eric Stillman just to solicit his views based on your response. Eric, uh, can you come in? Yeah, good evening. Thanks. Uh, pleasure listening to you, Renan. I agree with everything you've said.
1: And I think uh, Tito Baweni also agrees with you, seeing that those uh, aspects are very much part of his macroeconomic strategy. And he's the guy that's putting forward the budget, uh, adjusted budget tomorrow, uh, and has got the responsibility to uh, uh, try to balance or or, or to at least um, come out with a reasonable plan, notwithstanding all the damage that's been caused by by Corona and lockdown, people are forecasting up to a 14% deficit and 80 to 100% debt to GDP in the next couple of years. So we we really, you know, things have run away badly. We all know that that, uh, the lockdown has been crippling. Um, the the stimulus package, so-called, of, of 500 billion rand, is certainly not a stimulus package. In fact, it's, it's a, a relief package at the very best, just to keep uh, some of the businesses surviving. Um, and even there, the inefficiency of government has meant that, that lots of the uh, available funding has not reached its destination. It's been uh, corrupted and, and siphoned off elsewhere. Or simply just not effectively implemented. So uh, with that said, uh, um, I will say that Business for South Africa is an initiative which I'm sure Bonangi is very aware of and you are aware of, which is all the business ga- uh, uh, associations in this country, like Business Council, uh, BUSA, uh, SACI, Business Leadership, so all of them. They've got a, I actually was, a, we came aware this, this week. Uh, this past week that there is a massive uh, uh, in, in, in initiative on the go with two to four hundred professionals who are working together with government in NeLAP, sector by sector to see what can be done to activate business activity in each sector, whether it be agriculture, whether it be uh, the uh, retail, manufacturing, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Including what Banang was speaking about in terms of energy and in terms of, uh, spectrum and, 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 and connectivity in this country and, and of course transport and so many other sectors. We are always begging the question, Nimrod, you and I have spoken this with, uh, for over 10 years of the, it's, it, it's, it's gotta happen. The question really around implementation is, is, is really the question not at a high level, at a very practical level, what, in fact, can this conversation contribute, that's my interest, to a national debate on how we're going to get things done, short of recapacitating the whole government consisting of somewhere around 2 million employees, okay, but in an fact to get business involved, obviously, in, in the implementation process. So for now... That's the way I'd like to see this conversation go if we can
0: thank you very much I'm um, um, I think you you've, you've hit it on a nail uh, but I just obviously there are there are two you know almost competing issues here at one level uh, we've got structural uh, limitations that stifle economic growth as onemo has, has currently pointed out but I think the biggest issue has always been. The, the inability of the state to implement very robust policies, which they've had, would it therefore not be possible or practical, or useful to start off with with the the the, the how do we capacitate the state, you know, to implement policies? Well, are you asking, or yeah. Nigerians
1: out yeah. after that?
2: Yeah. So, Let you are absolutely correct. You see, South Africa's problems have nothing to do with the availability of resources because we have only become poorer only of late when we're hit by four concurrent and committent things. So first was the nine wasted years of state capture, of regulatory uncertainty and policy stability. Secondly, was the technical recession that we are in. Thirdly, it's Moody's downgrading us to below investment grade, which increases the cost of borrowing. Now, the coronavirus or COVID-19 has just decimated us. So we used to have money. We no longer have. And I think we need to accept, like an alcoholic, we have to first accept that we have a problem. You see, meaningful opening up of economic activity and employment I'm talking about workplace activity, was 66% lower during level five national lockdown. It's only expected, only at level two. So prolonging the level four lockdown, even for another month, would have done permanent damage to the economy, to the tune of almost 10% of the GDP. The commissioner of the South African Reserve Bank, Edward Gisbert, has already told us that he's going to experience 250 billion rands um, shortfall from the the collections. The president says that's going up to 300 billion. Just from two things that we missed, collecting taxes from alcohol and indeed tobacco. This is despite the fiscal, i.e. 3.5 to 4% of GDP, and monetary stimulus of this 500 billion that both the government and the South African Reserve Bank are injecting into the economy, and the record monetary easing, which is now at 275 basis points of cuts since the beginning of this year, freeing up more than 100 billion of spending power. The economy is now focused, and I agree absolutely with Eric, to contract by a range of about 7% from the South African Reserve Bank, 7.5% from OECD. Citibank puts that number at 9%. This will put 2 million formal sector jobs at risk and millions more in the informal sector. The budget deficit is unlikely to dip below the 11% over the next 2 years. Government debt to uh, debt to GDP ratio will now increase above 100%. This is crisis level uh, debt to GDP ratio. Uh, and we're not helped by the fact that there was a crash in the oil price and Weak domestic demand that have helped to push inflation down to a 17-year low of 2.8 percent, but a weaker rent raises the cost of imported goods. Back to you, Lieutenant.
0: thank you very much, Warang uh, But I, I think there, there, there are the two critical issues that you've raised, which I want, um, you know, Eric, maybe just to uh, uh, have a, a bite on, particularly I mean around the turnaround strategy. Because obviously we know for the fact that the budget deficit, um, is quite high. Uh, the shortfall in terms of, um, you know, tax, collectible taxes due to COVID-19 runs into billion rands. We, 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 that has already been established. Now that we are re- we are pressing restart button, what would be the practical things which government, uh, ought to be doing, particularly around SMMEs or any other sector for that matter? Because we, we now need to thinking on, what are the practical uh you know ideas or programs that are are implementable? If we were to advise the president tomorrow or any other statutory body for that for, for that matter, the question is which every other South African is yearning for, where to from now? Okay, if we were to start a but if you we were to start tomorrow, how do you activate the economy?
1: Yeah, Uh, Nimrod, thank you. Um, Look, I I alluded to that earlier. You've got to get business involved in in the delivery process. In fact, government, when it comes to the economy, the sectors of the economy, manufacturing, retail, wholesale, tourism, hotels, whatever it might be, it's not a player, it's a facilitator. At the moment, it's not a facilitator. It's actually a regulator and a hindrance. Because of political uh, bureaucracy, uh, the red tape, so-called, that always needs to be cut. Now, when you bring business on board as part of the delivery process, you don't even need a formal partnership to do that. You just allow businesses to operate and to trade without infringement, and you make them part of a national campaign to activate the economy sector by sector that to me is the biggest um, uh, contributor. That uh, you know the, 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 this, the, this, the implementation process that needs to happen. Everything from from Escom to 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 uh, uh, translate to all of the sectors of the economy. The, the actual front line uh, implementation people. The countless uh, uh, ex- incredible expertise in the private sector in terms of infrastructure development, engineering skills. We've lost a lot of it, but before it disappears completely, we need to bring that on board. And, and I think that the initiative that's happening right now within uh, government and within Business for South Africa at NEDLAC is addressing that. There, there, there's some top professional people in the business sector who are actively involved. The question I, I still raise is what can we – um, who are not directly involved in that process? What can we do to to stimulate or mobilise or contribute to that process? That, that's 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 the question I'm asking myself. I've got a lot of faith. I think Cyril is on top of his game in many respects. Uh, certainly, he's he's in touch with all these issues, and and of course he's restrained by some of the political. Uh, uh, uh infighting within the ANC and with his alliance partners uh, and we've often spoken about some kind of a social compact even if it's around a practical delivery process that will save jobs and revive the economy. there must be scope to to, to put something that is not ideologically a, a social uh, agreement. But practically, this we can all do together, business, government, labour. That's what I would like to see coming out of this discussion,
0: perhaps. All right. No, no, thanks, Eric. But even before that, I mean, you, you, you're quite correct, you know, by reflecting to the role of business. I mean, business, uh, in our previous conversation, we've agreed that business can no longer, you know, uh, be a and business has to be at the forefront, you have alluded to the fact that they are, you know, obviously, NetLeg has brought in a number of, um, constituencies. There are deliberations on some of the practical things, um, that, that, that could be done. But, I mean, this is something that we've had before, uh, in everything. NetLeg is not, it's not, it's not a structure that, they just, you know, yesterday. It, what, what makes NetLeg uh, uh, fail to deliver? We talk, obviously, if, if we're operating in a, in emergency space. We recognize the agency um, of, of, of the, the, the difficulties that we have experienced. Um, you see, surely, you know, sorry to butt
1: in, I'm sure Benan can contribute, having been the CEO of, I think, uh, BLSA. He would know the how business operates and how business works with government. But uh, uh, this is a, uh, a real moment where business uh, uh, during COVID has had a very close cooperative relationship with government in terms of what lockdown, what easing of lockdown, and, and, and to get a whole country together, you know, 60 million people all cooperating, notwithstanding that there's been a lot of inefficiency and irrationality, but you've got a country working together right now, and you've got, as I say, 400 top professionals and business people working on what you can do for each sector of the economy. Whether it's automotive sector, whether it's other aspects of manufacturing, clothing, textiles, agriculture, they're working on it actively now. So in a way, we could say that 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 is what's different. You've got the business community which knows how to deliver involved, directly involved. Our Still, do not have that much confidence that 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 it will actually happen. For example, another aspect is is the president has had uh, uh, a previously in two investment summits. He's due to have an infrastructure investment conference coming up shortly. I don't know how it will be run, whether it's going to be how virtual it's going to be, and you know, hundreds of billions of rands have been pledged in those forums from international players, China, Japan, Germany,
0: France, whoever. The question is, though, they haven't really taken off. So That's that's, that's, that's something that we need to unlock, Eric. You know, know, we we, we, we have gone through a number of of talk sessions because I think, in my view, you know, the biggest challenge sits with some of the structural reforms which are needed to unlock the the business opportunities. Uh, That's it. Uh, what would your take be in terms of structural reforms that would um, open up those business opportunities? Because my my hypothesis is that part of the dilemma, you know, in terms of, of business coming in is the the, the the reforms that are required in terms of the labour market. What your what your put what your input would be on that is on that
2: issue. Eric is absolutely spot on. I I don't understand why we have such amazing talent in this country. Uh, Dr. Richard Mabonya, Dr. Sam Mutsuanyani, these are the people who started NAVCOC, the oldest black organization in this country. Um, It took them 20 years to raise a meager 1 million rand and start an African bank. Um, And and they lost it when the apartheid government tried to increase um, the the the, the requirements, uh, just to stifle that. These people were not asking them to help us on small and medium enterprises where businesses are created in large numbers. Because in big business, we know that we're experiencing this phenomenon of jobless growth. Um, where big companies that used to employ 300,000 people just 10 years ago have trebled their turnover with just 10% of that, uh, the 30,000, for instance. So this notion of SMEs, where there are just two, three people, they employ five people, that's where the difference is going to be, especially if you compare us with our BRICS counterparts. All of them, new jobs created, account for more than 60% of the total number of jobs. And by the way, when you create jobs, it's not about... For its own sakes, you are creating markets of the future because there's a problem when your own employees cannot afford the goods and services that you provide. In South Africa, new jobs created by SMEs are less than 16 percentage points. So there's a huge um, opportunity there. But some of the structural reforms that we need to embark on later is we must reduce the bloated public sector wage bill. 2008-2009 financial year was $250 Now it's 565 billion. Jobs at ESCOM just 2010 were 32,000, went up to 48,000. Today, when we're in trouble, it's only coming down towards 46,000. You can see that there are some things that we have to do. ESCOM today is the single biggest, both systemic and systematic risk with a debt of 450 billion. And cumulative bailouts of one hundred and twenty eight billion, they are unable to trade themselves out of this debt debt. Lastly, two things. If we emil- eliminated only the irregular, fruitless, wasteful expenditure, which the Auditor General tells us every year wastes a minimum of eighty billion South African rents uh, from more than three hundred municipalities. And then lastly, this notion of land reform, we must take it seriously because land is the first means of production, not just expropriation without compensation, because in land reform, there are three issues. It's restitution. The land must be restored to its original owners because nothing was paid when it was forcibly taken. Number two is land redistribution. 90% of the population is squeezed into 13% of the land. It's It's not sustainable. And then lastly, Land development. For what purpose? And by whom? Because the largest holders of land is actually government and the army. We don't even have to start confiscating land that belongs to the farmers uh, in Stellenbosch, but just by giving title deeds to the three and a half million people in Soweto, formerly two and a half million people on Tuesday, they get the title deed on Wednesday. They can leverage this as collateral and open their own businesses from any bank and make sure that the township economy is not forever... Um, relegated uh, to being small, but that they can can own the big shopping malls uh, in black areas. Why are big shopping malls owned by the usual suspects? Why are casinos still owned by the people that used to own them when they were only found uh, in the former homeland areas? We had an opportunity when we became free to issue new licenses like Monte Casino, um, etc. But we still gave them to the usual suspects. I think we have only ourselves to blame. Back to you, Litaveli.
0: Thank you very much for that observation. Uh, now, these are beginning to be much more practical uh, issues which can aid the system in terms of restarting the economy. I mean, you spoke about uh, the, the, the the public wage bill. Um, that's a very controversial because one because, you know, the unions are quite powerful in this country. You spoke about, you know, the ESCOM debt Which is quite huge. You spoke about irregular and fruitless expenditure, which is massive. And of course land reform. I mean there are obviously long hanging fruits in terms of getting a country back on track. If amongst others you can address the fruitless and and irregular expenditure, we we are likely to be the escort, you know, the the, the spectrum. But the question is, the political will is is there political will? Number one. Yeah. Yeah, just two things. Firstly, you need
1: to charge your battery. Your battery is going flat. There was a message here where the whole call will end. So just don't organize the, uh, 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 to plug it in. If I may, can I contribute something at this point? Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, first I just want to say, talk about one piece of good news, which may be, you know, another practical, um, thing to consider. To, to replicate and 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 to learn from, you know, Amazon uh, 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 actually announced another three thousand jobs in South Africa um, because they've uh, uh, who who will people their, their call center in South Africa serving other countries in the world uh, in terms of Amazon's um, network of of suppliers and customers worldwide. Now South Africa has become. After uh, many years of, of, of hard work, since the Growth and Development Summit in around 2003, um, a, a choice destination call centre business process outsourcing operation. So, yeah, you've got a top global company which has chosen to expand and operate in South Africa with all their advantages, servicing the whole world. So there you go. There's a big company, a global company, employing thousands of people. It's not true for that big companies don't employ people. But to bring in your point, Amazon is also a great uh, facilitator of small business development, which is an opportunity that we haven't yet started to explore in this country, where you can list your products on Amazon and distribute them worldwide in terms of the particular uh, 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 opportunities that have revealed themselves in under lockdown, the new online world of business, there, there, there's incredible amount of e-commerce opportunities that small, medium, large companies can take advantage of. Of course, another sector which has got potential to, to partner corporates and, and, and small business and be partners is of course, so the automotive sector, which is the, the, the biggest manufacturing sector in this country, a big success story, uh, exporting four, five hundred thousand vehicles a year before lockdown, and that business, that industry, has got a mandate, like all industries have, to use local content and to use to facilitate BEE and small business uh, through the procurement. Aspects of, of, of small and supplier development aspects of the BEE codes. Now those are initiatives and programs that exist in, 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 in the policy framework and they are being implemented to different degrees. My opinion is that in order for us as interested parties who are not just talking on a radio show, but that want to make a contribution is perhaps we should start an initiative to bring together like-minded people and, and, and companies that are in our networks to actually c- contribute with something that I called in 1992 and I told Sir Ramaphosa about it and I wrote an article in Business Day of the CODESA. I termed the term Economic CODESA. Okay, you can look in September 1992's Business Day. There's a place to bring together like minded people who want to move this country forward, who are not part of the official government and, and institutional framework because they you know, have got their own criteria of, of involvement. Our criteria could simply be that we are volunteering to um, add value and to contribute and to involve government, business and labour in initiatives to facilitate
0: implementation. What do you think, uh, Nimrod and Bernard? Okay, let me, let me, You know what? Look, um, Eric, you and yeah. I have, have had this kind of conversation for a very long time. Yeah. The issue around, you know, um, like bringing like-minded individuals. I mean, I completely agree. Uh, I'm sure the country is open up to those kinds of groundbreaking uh, forums. But we need to go beyond just a question of bringing people together. Fundamentally, you bring people on a basis of a problem. One of the biggest problems that I've identified is the what what you know Professor Mahale has been talking about is around around policy reform. Because in, in the absence of clearly cut policy reform, which is, which which is a prerogative of the state, how do we transform? I mean, for an example, let's look at the the, the education sector, as it as, as it were. Um, our our education system. Arguably, it's not the best in, in the world, and, and we're not producing the kind of people that we need to be, policy, we need to be producing uh, for us to become competitive. So there lies in not just a sector, but the, the entire policy framework around education. So we need to really understand, bring in people that you've spoken about, bring in technical experts in terms of Curriculum redesign and development around what needs to change for the country to move forward. So, so those are kind of issues that, 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 uh, uh, will take us, you know, a step further over and above just talking about these kinds of issues. But what's your, what's your take?
2: You touch on very important issues and I'm going to end on this piece of education. Eric, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm talking about this phenomenon called jobless growth by Mm. big businesses Mm. that today compared to 10 years ago, they are making more money with fewer people. It's a global Mm. phenomenon. It's not only unique to South Africa. One of the Mm. things also we need to do to increase confidence because what drives share price is rumor and speculation. We need to increase confidence Mm. that we've been talking about state capture for 10 years. 10 years later, not 1%. person has been jailed as a result of having looted 1.4 trillion South African rands in just four years. Every year, we have been siphoning off about 100 billion just to the two Zupta families a year, every year. So the top state capture miscreants must be jailed. We must also take seriously this notion of an inclusive economic growth, because today the power patterns... Economic power patterns have been set for generations to come. Coming to the issue of education, we know that education matters little because you can be born in an informal settlement of Alexander, but after 20 years of hard work, of application, of dedication, determination, and the will to succeed, be able to afford a house in the leafy suburbs of Brunson. Not because you want a tender but because you have ended and you, des- you deserve it. In education, this is where we can make the biggest impact. And former President Hollister Nelson Mandela really understood this. As I conclude, you know that there were changes in both external landscape and socioeconomic conditions put pressure on the institutions of higher learning to deliver greater quality and capabilities, as well as increasing ongoing challenges in higher education. Societal inequality of income, inequality of wealth, and inequality of opportunities will remain a challenge for some time to come because the cost of higher education drives barriers to access. Both academic and financial disruptions hamper the throughput that we want. Support from other higher education ecosystems is limited by reach and resources. And the talent pipeline is not stable with only 13% of learners who start grade one qualifying for university. So for me, what COVID-19 has simply done, it has accelerated the seismic shifts shaping the future of higher education. Technology is changing both the teaching and the learning process, blurring the lines between work and study. Modular degrees are offering students greater choice and ability to acquire specific expertise. Increased emphasis on creativity, emotional intelligence and cognitive flexibility lead to more applied learning and globalization is leading to increased competition for talent when most South Africans are saying, you know what, I can avail myself of much more globally competitive uh, degree because now I can uh, access it and it is within reach. Back to you later. Man.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Professor Mahali. For those who have just joined us, uh, we are having a conversation which is very hot and interesting with, uh, Bonang Mahano Mahalo, who is the, uh, chairperson of the Bidvest Group, as well as Eric Stillerman, who is the CEO of London, uh, business, uh, London business School on, online. Uh, I welcome your thoughts and observations. Our SMS line is 34519. The telegram is 0- 0618951019. And of course, my email address is Nimrod at while on that issue, one one thing that I want to take home from you know Professor Mahale's views around practical things or maybe sectors that we need to do. Firstly, perhaps maybe um, and uh, we may have to look at how do we you know uh, instigate the ex- uh, expedition or, or fast tracking the digital migration. Um, something that you know you know uh, that could be done there in terms of releasing uh, substantial revenue. To the tune of 20 billion, that could be done. Issues around, you know, uh, renewable energy uh, are quite high on agenda and are quite lucrative. Uh, And and obviously, addressing the issue of fruitless and wasteful expenditure has a huge prospect of of delivering uh, the 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 revenue that is needed, or at least directing the revenue that is needed to where, you know, to 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 where it's going to make a meaningful impact. So these are pretty much high-level issues. Which still needs to be translated into practical, tangible action plans that you and I can take, or, or you and I can take in our own uh, sphere of influence and say, how do we take these things forward?" You know So from a practical point of view, someone who's listening to the show tonight and say, "I've got this brilliant idea. How do I bring in the like-minded people? Uh, how do I make a contribution?" you know, to government or to the state, as, as it were, so that we're able to emancipate uh, uh, people from poverty? What are these, you know, uh, practical things that can be done um, uh, that has a huge uh, uh, impact? Over to you, uh,
2: Professor Marley. Um You know, at a practical level, uh, literally, we need to ensure that We don't consult to death. At some stage, we have to stop and do. South Africa's problems have nothing to do with the availability of resources. I said it has everything to do with our inability to execute. We've got plans coming out of every orifice, from the NDP 2030 and then the National Growth Plan. But it's the doing, the implementation, the nine-point plan, um, and all of them. I think what is needed is what General George Patton said. Great wars can be saved by good implementation, not just by great plans. Because we know that when we go down, especially to the majority of the population, 90% of whom are black, they are not operating at their full potential. 51% are female, and yet 26 years into democracy. We've, excuse me. We are still paying women 75% of what we pay men for work of equal value. So for me, we have to practically address the structural constraints to this growth that we want because we have not been growing. Productivity relative to the rest of the world has been poor. South Africa needs external demand to drive this growth. The composition and efficacy of our spending will remain a challenge because with only 59 million South Africans, we don't have a sufficient enough market to be able to be self-sufficient like the US of A, that is 300 million, or even Nigeria for that matter, that has surpassed 200 million. South Africa has lost its international competitiveness and it needs to be restored. And international competitiveness, you regain it by allowing entrepreneurship to thrive because pe- during periods of social change, that's when entrepreneurship thrives. You encourage people uh, to come up and create small and medium-sized businesses. We have never had a single uh, minister who's responsible for new business development who himself or herself has run a, pa- a spaza shop or knows how to wrap two twenty 20 rent notes together and struggle and hustle. Um, we need to secure this competitiveness, because to us, not only is it critical to growth, but it is our only salvation. Because without small and medium enterprises, uh, now we talk about the township uh, economy, really and genuinely hiring people. Today, as I end, the I pay more to my plumber per hour than to my cardiothoracic surgeon. Thank you, sir.
0: Thank you very much. Uh, that is Professor Mahale's view on what needs to be done in practical terms to take the economy forward. Uh, I've got my own reservations and, and view on the, let me just bring in um, Eric Stillerman uh, as we are about to wrap up. Um, Eric, your, your final contribution in terms of the practical, uh, you, 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 influence that brings everybody are, on the I'm, table. I'm saying, you and I had a conversation before.
1: We can pull together a group of people, like-minded people, who can, through their networks, for example, you, Bonang, being the chairman of, of Midwest, will understand right down to the, the granular level what makes a business successful and grow, and how does it implement and, and manage projects and have a global perspective and, and perhaps even an African perspective, to, to, to spread its wings, and that's what a whole economy needs to do. So my my, you know, contribution is to say, let us continue this conversation and and actually initiate an initiative that we can get serious players on board through our various networks. Anyone listening, and the people that we that we engage with on on a number of different sectors, and and we we push. And, and uh, for things to be done, and get involved, perhaps in, in motivating and mobilising resources and, and the right uh, sort of way forward in many different spheres. We can't run the country because that's government's, you know, mandate, and they've got uh, a, a, a couple of million people involved in their own, on their own payroll. Uh, but you can uh, stimulate the right movement forward. Uh, and that's, that's what I would like to see happen. And I thought that you were perhaps interested in, in, in the way forward, maybe in the next uh, couple of conversations we have. Let,
0: let me Thanks for that, Eric. Let me uh, uh, put uh, Professor Mahale here on the spot in terms of what you have just ad- addressed, um, Eric. The question is to you, Dr. Mahala, is there a wider appetite on the kind of suggestions that would be put forward by, by Eric uh, because the state has, the, has the, a responsibility to formulate policies and implement those poli- policies. But we know that there, there's a huge gap in terms of practical implementation of those policies. So what could be an ordinary folk do to support um, and, and the state in its endeavor? And would there be sufficient, would there be an appetite for that kind of drive
2: There's definitely an appetite because we can't do enough of this. All of us need to corral, marshal our forces, our energy, our impetus to do the little that we can do in our own corner. Business for South Africa is doing that, which is an amalgam of a number of businesses. Our only apex organization is Business Unity South Africa. That was created by former President Kholisaka Nelson Mandela when President Tabombeki was the leader of business. As I conclude just to underscore why every single solitary one of us must be spending sleepless nights about this crisis that we are in, why this notion of like-minded people need to coalesce and come together and do a little bit in our own backyards. You know, a society that laments more the loss of its economy than the loss of human life and a society where men massacre and kill women and young children in the manner that is said tragic and regrettable like we have witnessed in the last few decades, that society does not need a virus. It is already sick because we know that there's an African adage that says a child that doesn't feel embraced by its own village will bend down the village in order to feel its warmth. My parting shot says, when the fisherwomen and fishermen can't go out to sea, they repair their nets. What are we doing in South Africa during the almost 90 days of the national lockdown to repair our nets, to make sure that when the economy opens up in level two, that we are ready, willing and able, that we are not part of the statistics. Literally.
0: Thank you very much, Professor Mahali, for yet uh, another thought-provoking insight that gives us a really a, a good sense of the appetite of how, you know, some of this initiatives that uh, Eric has, has put forward um, could be taken forward. So it's incumbent upon us as, as a community, as individuals, uh, as businesses, to leverage every single resource that we have at our disposal. You know, to, 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 make solutions available. Eric, your party short as, as we wrap up. You know, it's, it's been a pleasure to be in your company and,
1: and, and the Shakespeare, uh, that we have in, in, in Tatim It's, it's, it's music to the ears, you know. Uh, uh, thank you for, for sharing with us and I look forward to continuing, uh, the, the conversation and actual action plans that we can push forward. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you very much. There we go. That is, uh, that's uh, as we're wrapping up, it's a very interesting conversation that we've had with uh, Professor Bona Mahale, who is the chairperson of Vest Group, as well as Eric Stullerman, who is the CEO of, of uh, London, a London business school online, sharing interesting thoughts that are practical, uh, implementable on how best to take the country forward. So we have that, obligation we have that opportunity uh the, the, the two colleagues have sort of uh, uh, invited actually challenged every single person who's listened to the show tonight and say let's let's lament uh, uh the tariff that we see let's lament the loss of economic status that this country used to enjoy let's put our efforts together uh, around what is common and like they say you know you know to kill an elephant, you have to eat it, but you know, bit by bit. So they are, they are sitting, you know, low-hanging fruits as a collective that you can identify, address, and, and really leverage on. And, and Unfortunately, we're not going to it there. And once again, your presence and, and wisdom is greatly appreciated. Thank you. Uh, Eric Solomon. as always, your thoughts and wisdom as well is highly appreciated. Mm-hmm. We're going to do this mm-hmm. again. And, and, mm-hmm. and I, one of the things that I'm promising forward is practical things that we could do and also follow through on every single pronouncement and, and identify the glitches and say, how can we? Because we can't, we, we can't live our lives in retrospect. We have to live our lives, you know, thinking ahead. And thinking yeah. ahead of this, recognising what are the limitations, what are the things that are starving us and providing practical solutions. We've got enough uh, you know, brilliance, enough uh, appetite, enough uh, gesture that we can leverage on. Well, until I, I think that's it for tonight. Uh, thank you very much for indulging us. Until we do it again, have a good one and stay safe.